All right, school is in session. So take your seats and turn up the volume. volume. It's time for the smartest fishing show on the internet. This is the show that dives into everything fishing from tactics and gear to policy and product. Here he is, the fishing professor, Professor Sid Dobrin. So stick around, you might learn something. Respect. Walk. What did you say? Respect. Walk. Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Well, I know I'm talking to you because this is the Inventive Fishing Fishing Professor Rodcast, and I am Sid Dobrin, the Fishing Professor. Hey, welcome to the show. Respect. Listen to me. So welcome to the Rodcast, and I am so excited about this week's episode because we have got Carrie Zilka, the metal chick, host of the awesome podcast, Metal Chick Podcast, and also the host of the other awesome podcast, the Fish Hunt Travel Podcast. And I got to fish with Carrie recently, so you know I just had to have her on the show. And after Carrie and I get our heads banging, I'm going to turn to a little bit of my attention to Lazy River Straight Kentucky Bourbon Whiskey. And then I'm going to get dark by counting down my top 10 lures for fishing in low light conditions. Hey, quick, what do you call a girl fishing over the side of a boat? Annette. Oh, quit groaning. You know you like that. If you didn't, you're probably one of those anglers that blushes when the captain tells you to make sure your bait is on the bottom. Hey, you know why fish swim in schools? Because they can't walk. Respect. Walk. What did I say? I said, let's get to casting. All right, my listening crew, we are going to turn it up a bit this week because this one goes to 11. And we have got Carrie Zilka, the metal chick in the studio. (laughs) Hello, listeners. Thank you for having me on, Sid, always. Big fan of the show, so I'm really excited to be a guest on your. On your oh, thanks. Here. Let me let me let me introduce you a little bit, and then we'll get rolling. So, okay. uh, because you know, Carrie is the metal chick, and she's also an angler, a hunter, <laughs> a traveler, a writer. She is the host of three podcasts: the Creative Mind Fiction Podcast, which is really cool because the podcast episodes are audio versions of the stories that she and Alice Nelson have written. She's yeah. also the host of Metal Chick Podcast, in which she reviews new heavy metal releases and talks with a lot of artists from the Milwaukee metal scene, as well as national and international audiences. She's also the host of the Hunt Fish Travel Podcast, which, as yeah. the title so clearly says, is about hunting and fishing and traveling. <laughs> she is also the author of an eclectic collection of Flash yeah. Fiction, Volume 1, which I will admit, I've started reading. I haven't finished it, but I'm deep into it. And its sections on science fiction, fantasy, and horror are right up my alley. And I have to think <laughs> that what I've read so far, there's a lot of undercurrent of love and connection and humanity and mortality wrapped up in some really well-wrought stories. And I really like the story out of the ashes. Just really powerful stuff. Thanks. Well, gladly. It's good wow. stuff. But uh, Thank you. You know, when I was introduced to Carrie, I found out that she was a fishing, hunting, metal, science fiction, chaos kind of person. <laughs> she hit it off. Literally. I had to get you on, <laughs> on the show to talk about all those things, particularly the fishing and the metal. So we're going to take that ride, ride, ride on heavy metal. 
It's the only <laughs> way that we will travel down that road. Though as soon as I start singing that, I realize Don Felder is not exactly who we think of when we think of metal. None. <laughs> Eagles and metal, it just doesn't work, right? Yeah. <laughs> but we have got Carrie Zilka on the broadcast. Carrie, thanks so much for being here. Again, thanks for having me on. That was a great intro. I can't <laughs> even believe anybody even is still reading that book. Oh, um, of course. I've got it sitting here on Kindle on my desktop. You know, it's funny because that whole thing. So, okay. So, in two minutes or less, the whole A Creative Mind fiction came out of Alice and I started moderating this short flash fiction uh, group where we would just submit these contests or these stories to these they were just writing right type of contest one day I was like dude I have like 200 stories written she's like man me too I'm like you want to start a podcast because what the heck are we going to do with these and she's like yeah let's do it she's actually since gone off and she's working on a serialized um show which is really amazing and it's just funny how how the twists and turns that life take you when you're just like, oh, I'll just do this quick five minute story. And then you're like, oh, now I have 200 of them. So. That's great. Yeah. And that serialized approach is becoming more and more popular among podcasters too. So that's, that's really good to do it. So, yeah. All right. So I want to, I want to get things rolling a little bit more with my usual opening question, sort of an origin story of sorts. So Tell me your fishing, hunting, outdoor origin story. How did you get into those outdoor activities? And how has that passion for hunting and fishing and traveling driven you to do the things that you do? So my story is pretty crazy. So, I mean, I grew up in Wisconsin, you know, the land of deer hunting. So I was always a big rifle deer hunter with my dad, who was just the, I mean, from... I always joke that the first time I went hunting, I was six days old because it's true because mom left him alone and he wanted to go duck hunting. I was literally six days old in his backpack with earmuffs on as he's duck hunting out in the marshes. He was ridiculous, but <clears throat> he really, really instilled a passion for just being outside. We constantly camped, we constantly went fishing. I was 10 years old and we're, you know, camping at the VFW campground. We're going deer hunting during the day on the state natural areas. And then we're fishing for walleyes at the South Prairie Dam at night and sleeping in the van. I mean, it was just, it was really wild. And he really instilled that love for the outdoors. But he was a rifle guy. He was a gunsmith. He was a gun guy. And there's a point in your life when you're tired of freezing to death in November in Wisconsin. So what's the next logical step? Let's pick up a bow. I don't know anything about archery, but I'm going to go buy a $400 bow, set up and figure it out. So fast forward a little while, I'm looking for some resources. And back then it was when podcasts really started getting going. And the Up North Journal podcast out of Michigan was one of my favorite ones. So I messaged them and I'm like, hey, do you guys have any episodes specifically on bow hunting or archery? And, you know, just more of the technical side of things of how to set it up, et cetera, et cetera. And he was like, no, but there is a podcast out there called Bowcast. And it's all archery, all bow hunting. Check these guys out. So I did. And oh my God, they just opened my world. So fast forward about six months, Deer and Turkey Expo is coming up here in Wisconsin. And I'm just, I'm, when I'm a cheerleader, I'm a freaking cheerleader. I want to wear your shirts. I want to, you know, talk up your show. So I'm looking on their shop and all they have are like two XL sweatshirts. And I'm like, this is horrible. 
what is wrong with you guys? You guys have a great show. Get on the merch train. And I admittedly sent them kind of a snotty email. Basically like, hey, it kind of sucks that you have no merch because I'm going to the show. And FYI, not to toot my own horn, but a six foot tall blonde gets a lot of attention. A lot of people would see your brand, you know? And they were like, we should talk. What the <laughs> heck is this chick about, right? So they asked me if I wanted to come on as a blogger for Bocas to journal my, you know, journey into bow hunting. And I did. Again, fast forward a couple of years. Um, I worked for them for a long time. And they really inundated me in the outdoor industry. We went to the Archery Trade Association show, SHOT show, all this stuff representing the brand they were so well respected because they were the first archery and bow hunting podcast they went through some leadership changes i left the show and then i was like well, what am i gonna do well i guess i'll start a podcast because that's all i know about at this point started hunt fish travel um it started out as the wild world of carrie z and my a, a co-worker named it but then after a couple of years i'm like um so this is not very SEO friendly. Nobody's searching for the wild. <laughs> a lot of podcasts out there. There's so many hunting and outdoor podcasts out there who do the how-to stuff or how to make a mock scrape, how to hunt big bucks in Buffalo County. And I was just not making, an, you know, I was not able to set myself apart from the noise. So I rebranded to Hunt Fish Travel because I mean, let's face it, we spend more time on the logistics and the planning portion of a hunting or fishing trip than we do hunting or fishing. So, you know, I started talking to lodges and outfitters and visitor bureaus, and they're, they're happy to give me the time to promote their service and just share their passion and, and the love of the area that they specialize in. So that's kind of how I got into it, how Hunt Fish Travel came to be. Ironically, here's a secret tip, though. I did relaunch. I ended up purchasing Bowcast from um, the most previous owner two years ago and relaunched it. And it's kind of been on hiatus while I'm working. It's hard to juggle two shows of the same genre. But it's, it was just very full circle that I got my outdoor start with Bowcast. And now I own Bowcast. That's, that's so, great. But, yeah, really neat. But it's so technical and it's very, 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 you know, dot walking back and paper tuning and kinetic energy focus. But sometimes the hunt fish travel is a little more fun. <laughs> yeah. Let me pick up on that then. Because yeah. of, you know, because of your role now with both of these or all of your podcasts, but specifically with the hunting and the fishing and the bow hunting. And everything you do as an angler, a hunter, a writer, a podcaster, an influencer, a lot of folks see you as a kind of role model, particularly women who are trying to get into hunting and fishing and travel. How do you think of your public role as an influencer in these areas? So, and it's funny you mention that because people tell me that sometimes I'll get these emails and they just make me so happy where, you know, um, I, you know, I've never gone hunting by myself. My boyfriend won't take me. I listened to some of your episodes. I went out and I bought a hundred dollar bow at Walmart and I went out and shot a turkey with it or whatever. And I'm just like, you go girl. There's no reason you have to have a man to hold your hand to go out into the woods. That's why. And quite frankly, it's, it's, I prefer hunting alone. You can go when you want, when you're done, you're done. You don't have to worry about someone else. I have a couple of episodes out there that are just, 
And those are the ones where a lot of women will reach out after they listen. Like my debacle, that was the South Dakota mule hunt. I literally like ended up lost in the, in the canyon in torrential rainstorms and mudslides in 50 degree weather with nothing but my tennis shoes and a shirt like for 17 hours overnight. I mean, it was, it was crazy. And people are like, what the hell? But then they'll listen. They're like, wow. So, you know, you can survive a lot. The human body is very resilient. And there are women who are like, that's literally my fear. That's my biggest fear of getting lost or coming into a situation that I don't know how to handle. And I've had people be like, but I listen to this episode and I'm like, well, I'll take the chance because, you know, if she can get through it, then so can I. And I just think that's so cool. I'm not trying to be an influencer. I could give a shit less about likes on my Instagram and, you know, but I do love encouraging women, especially or young kids or even guys who are a little intimidated to just go do it. Because what's the worst that happens? You have a great day out in the sunshine? I mean, hello, you know? Makes perfect sense to me. Hey, you started to mention it. And it's one of the things I've noticed in conversations we've had uh, recently uh, when we met. You're a Wisconsiner who takes a lot of pride in your home state. And you regularly talk up the beauty of Wisconsin and the exceptional hunting and fishing opportunities in Wisconsin. Talk to me about that place-based dedication you have. I think, well, and I think everyone is a lot of times is a cheerleader for what they're most familiar with. I just happen to be blessed that, and I've been to many states, I've hunted and fished many other states, and they're gorgeous. The Black Hills of South Dakota, oh my God, like I could live there part-time. Um, but when I got, so when I got divorced a couple of years ago, <clears throat> excuse me, the plan was to literally move to Hawaii. Sounds That's like a damn my, fine plan to me. Right? <laughs> like that was my dream. Through some conversations, so people are like, you ice fish, you, you know, you deer hunt. Aren't you going to miss all that? And as the conversations went on, I'm like, you know what? I probably would. We have all four seasons. We have amazing snowmobile. We have more snowmobile trails than any other, you know, state. In the United States, we have, we're the water capital, water park capital of the world. You know, we're the musky capital. Of, I mean, like all these things that we, we have more Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett deer taken out of Buffalo County, Wisconsin than any other. I mean, it's an outdoorsman's like playland here. Why would I move somewhere that doesn't even have white-tailed deer? What was I thinking? I mean, I still might, don't get me wrong, but... <laughs> But part-time, maybe. I just, Wisconsin, and Wisconsin does a really, really good job with tourism. They spend so much money on marketing and just bringing in those tourism dollars all four seasons. Where you go, so my boyfriend had training out in Buffalo, New York. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I mean, I can eat my body weight in chicken wings. But it was in... February and I'm like oh I bet they have good ice fishing or something no like everything was closed down I was like this is what I'm so confused you guys are not capitalizing on you know all this available experience that people and travelers could have where Wisconsin is like oh no we are going to groom you know a million miles of trails for snowmobiling and <laughs> we're going to hold every lake has a fishing jamboree every weekend you know 
it's yeah. just Wisconsin is a really it's just a great state if you're an outdoorsman and everybody should come visit. So I want to use that Wisconsin connection as a kind of weird segue. Okay. Uh, because you told me that you have this fantasy plan to get married on the deck of the USS Wisconsin. <laughs> yes. All right. Now, quick quick note about the Wisconsin. This is an Iowa-class battleship. It was launched <laughs> on December 7th, 1943, um, and we know why. And it saw heavy action in the Pacific during World War II and then in the Korean War. She was decommissioned after Korea, but was reactivated in 1986 and participated in Desert Storm. Now she serves as a museum operated by Nauticus in downtown Norfolk, Virginia. And even with all that preamble about the Wisconsin, I'm not going to ask about the wedding, which seems like a really awesome plan, but probably personal for the podcast. I do want to talk about the fact that you were Navy. Tell me about your naval career. Yes. Uh, so, oh my God. Well, and it, it's okay. We the the wedding thing is just because my current boyfriend is also ex Navy. I'm Navy. Just kind of makes sense to have two squids get married on the USS Wisconsin in Norfolk, where I serve. So, you know, like the oh God, I was such a bad kid. I wasn't like into drugs or boys or anything. I just really wanted to stay home and write my stories. That's all I wanted to do. And I would skip out of school to go home and write novels on my brother word processor. It was crazy. Like my mom could not keep me in school because I was more interested about writing about dragons and swords than I was about algebra. You may be (laughs) the baddest ass nerd I've ever met. (laughs) Seriously. That's all I wanted to do was write. And I wrote like five novels the entire time I was in my, in high school and I didn't even finish high school because my junior year um my, and my mom god bless her soul she was a single mom trying that my parents got divorced like when I was 14 so right as I was going into high school I was like okay well now number one I'm bigger than you so make me go and she you know moved around trying to get me into high schools where I would just find some sort of a connection so five high schools in three and a half years and I uh I remember God, I don't even—I don't even remember. It must have been late May, where actually it was my sophomore year. Um, there was a Navy recruiter. My dad was Navy. My grandfather was Navy. Like the firstborns were always Navy. Um, oh my God, I could tell you the funniest story about my grandpa too, if you want. I don't know. It's very off-topic for hunting. I'm always and fishing, good for but... down for Navy funny stories. So yeah. Okay, and since he's passed, and my grandma just passed, though, so I feel like I can share this story because it's crazy. Anyway. So this recruiter is basically like, so Carrie, I like 13 credits to your name. You're 17. You could either, you know, end up working at Burger King for the next, I don't know, 20 years and have like eight children and be on welfare, or you could join the Navy and we'll give you a career. I was like, where do I sign? Oh my God. My mom jumped through hoops to get waivers because I was a minor so I joined at 17 (laughs) and I'm telling you I always joke that the Navy was the only thing that could kick me in the ass and get me straight because it really straightened me out and just instilled that work ethic and kind of that forward momentum into life I mean not that working at Burger King and having eight children is bad it's just not what I would prefer for my life you know (laughs) Makes sense to me. (laughs) 
you know, that's kind of fantastic. You know, Navy, hunting, fishing, exploration. You know, they used to erect statues of people like you, right? You know, <laughs> I mean, you, you, you told me you were the Viking queen, and that, that pretty much ties it up right there. That's funny. You are too kind. Well, all right, now I got to hear the grandfather Navy story. Oh, my God. So... And I won't name the ship's name and his necessarily. Well, I can tell you his name. But so in World War II, he's on a ship. And I can't even remember which one. It was one of the ones that sank. But, um, and I should know. Shame on me. But they, so he's on this <laughs> and he was pronounced dead, right? So my great-grandmother is in her farm in South Dakota. And she says, she looks out towards the road. She's cashed in his life insurance and everything. You know, they've had the whole, she got the flag and everything. She looks up to the board and there's my grandfather. And he comes marching up and she's like, I thought I saw a ghost. He's like, no, I survived. I just didn't tell him I did. Because I didn't want to have to go back to war, right? Fast forward like a year, he changes his name. I don't know how he got a new social security number and rejoined under a completely different name. Oh my God. <laughs> Literally. So my maiden name isn't even really my maiden name. <laughs> like, it's so crazy. Like, that who is, does that? You know, you're pronounced dead. And, I know. And then you're just like, yeah, maybe I'll just go ahead and rejoin again. Yeah, so, uh, and what are the technicalities there? If you've been declared dead, can you be AWOL? No, and that's the thing. Like, they, And I, I, knowing my grandfather... I was pretty sure he didn't want them to have to pay back the ten thousand dollar life insurance policy that my great grandmother had cashed in. <laughs> That's just fantastic. Now, <laughs> I, I think I have to admit too that you know the re part of the reason I brought up the Navy, not just because your service is incredibly impressive, but as you <laughs> and I had discussed previously, my childhood home was just a few miles down yes. the road from Hampton on Hampton Boulevard in Norfolk, from where you were stationed. And when we talked about this, we joked about the same we've been going to the same bars and same places we used to hang out and, I, and anyone who has spent more than five minutes in norfolk or the tidewater area knows the naval and nautical histories of that area they're fundamental to the area's history and mm -hmm. now that i say that out loud i actually don't have a question about that just an attempt to say that carrie and i might have been drinking at some place like 4400 <laughs> club at the same time without even knowing oh my god could you imagine how crazy would that have been like go back and look through all the old pictures and stuff and right oh my gosh look right. and, and also i mean the the townie and the and the squid you know was not exactly the <laughs> the company that was mixed so uh <laughs> right it's right. such I wanna, a great area you, though right yeah i want to get you to talk about some of your fishing but um okay not but because primarily the fishing a lot of the fishing that you do isn't what most of us anticipate when we hear the word fishing. Rather, I want to start off by asking you about your experiences bow fishing, because I know you've written about bow fishing. You just told us about your introduction to bow hunting. Tell me about bow fishing. The, so, okay, this is super funny. I've actually, I was super interested in it, and I bought a whole bow fishing rig, and then I never used it for years and years and years, until... The Branson Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Writers Conference, we went out with stained water bow fishing, and I was like, why, why, why am I just letting this collect dust in the basement? This is so stupid. This is so fun. There's tons of bow fishing tournaments around me. <laughs> like, and a lot of the 
not smaller lakes, but like less than a thousand acre type lakes here in Wisconsin, the carp are so invasive that they'll pay you five bucks a fish to come and take them out of the water because they're just repopulating like crazy and then they choke out the other fish. Yeah, when we were kids, the only bow fishing we ever saw anybody do was for carp in lakes. But it has expanded as an industry so much more. Oh, man. the There's an outfitter not too far from us. And I only know about him because I see his big boat at Quick Trip all the time with all the lights and the decks. And, I mean, I'm like, man. Yeah, we it, man, it's so cool. <laughs> it is, and I mean, I the the real bow fishing experience. My buddy Tony Hart of Yak Outlaws and some friends, we went over to Louisiana to go bow fishing for redfish. And, and Tony and I had a long conversation because redfish are one of our primary targets here in terms of you know inshore fishing. How we felt about bow fishing for them, but man, that was a blast. Yeah. Oh, I had just I hadn't. It was such a good time and. I when I got home, I like went down there and I'm like, I'm using you this spring. We are we are going. And I'd be fishing sometimes out in some of the mill ponds and I'd see people walking the edges of the of the ponds and the lakes with their bow fishing rig in hand and a lot of people do it around here. How how did you make how did you mentally make that transition from bow hunter to bow angler? Do do you take a lot of the same <laughs> kind of thinking about it? You know, I will do anything that's outside. So it's, there's really just, it's just, my brain is just always in outdoor mode. It doesn't matter if it's fishing, if it's hunting, if I can combine the two. I wanted to do like, um, a couple of years ago, I bought some of those flu-flu arrows where you can go like pheasant hunting. I never actually got to shoot as a pheasant because I don't have a dog, but I tried, you know, like, I will do anything. So. That's a heck of a shot. Upland I know. hunting with a bow. They do it. Some of these guys are just such That's good fantastic. shots. And yeah. Wow. So I saw an article about you in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel from a while back uh, about you and your bow hunting and your role with the Ladies Lodge, which includes a pretty badass picture of you and your bow. You uh, the importance of mentoring more women who want to sling arrows. Yeah. So. And it's funny too. So I've actually kind of transitioned even just from taking gals out sometimes, but into, I went on my first female veteran um, duck hunt last, all, first all female veterans hunt last fall. And boy, I just really didn't realize there was such a need for female groups, but also like female veteran groups because we're, we're unicorns like there really aren't a lot of us out there i've actually haven't oh i shouldn't say that take it that fishing there's i think four of them that participate in that event but this was the first time i'd really done anything with another female vet in a hunting capacity and you know with the resources that i have i am more than happy to take ladies out if they have questions people email me sometimes and sometimes they're you know, very female oriented questions, but sometimes they're just really basic stuff where they read articles online and they're like, is this real? Is this really truly the answer? And they just kind of need it from somebody who gets it. You know, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Women and men are wired so differently and we focus on very different things. And I think sometimes 
they just need somebody to reach out to. And there aren't a lot of women out there. And I'm not, I know there's a lot of women on Instagram who hunt and fish. And God bless them. It's very different when you're, you know, I'm 46, when you're, you've been doing it for, you know, several decades and gone through the shit and all the, you know, stuff that women slog through for many years. I have a very different perspective on things, I think, than a 25-year-old woman, I think. So, yeah. I mean, even, even, and you and I had talked about this, I think that there's also a different, uh, what's the way to put this, a different visual presentation Oh yeah, happening in outdoor media with young women oh. fishing and hunting now than we would have anticipated or that we necessarily see as the right image that needs to be put out there. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I always say too, if you're fishing in Florida and you're wearing a bikini top and shorts, that makes sense. It makes sense. If you're fishing in Wisconsin in your bikini and every picture is you in your bikini well okay you're just being a thirst trap then you're just trying to get the you know what i mean like there's situational awareness i don't care hey if you got it and those are the kind of likes you want you go for it but i think that i don't show any cleavage generally you know on my instagram or my facebook page so people tend to just take my advice a little more seriously yeah i think that's important i i can't tell you the numbers of times um, that, uh, on my social media or even wherever else people have asked me to stop posting pictures of myself in bikinis with fish. It's, um, <laughs> no fish bra photos for you. <laughs> what? You know, so, you know, though I will, I will touch on this though. And this is kind of interesting. I'm not 25. I don't have, but you know, size six figure when we were in Hawaii and we were attempting to fly fish. Literally, I had anxiety about what I was going to wear, though, because I obviously am not wearing my ice gear out there, but I didn't want people to think, oh, she's just posting a photo of her in her, you know, bikini top and and long shorts because she's trying to get likes or something. Because that's I mean, you know, that's not me. I do not care. I don't chase likes. I don't care. But I was so worried about people like having that perception of me I really had some anxiety about what I was going to wear while I was on camera out there fishing isn't that crazy it's like totally opposite no I think it makes perfect sense I mean because the the male gaze has been such that that's become an issue and you know and also particularly for folks who are doing this professionally and there's sponsorship involved and there's ethos and image that's being put out about product and place you know it, it has an effect yeah it's just a shame that that I a would even be worried about that because I should be able to post a photo with me holding a big ass fish in a bikini top, my God, and not a have to worry about oh well, this is how people are now all of a sudden going to perceive me, but also the fact that it, it was even a thought is just such a shame in the society. But I digress. No, you're you're exactly. Just, right. I mean, it's, it's just interesting. Me. Yeah, it is. Because I never really worried about that. Like, I mean, there's photos of, the, of me out in tank tops and stuff. Obviously, it's hot. I'm not wearing a turtleneck. You know? right. <laughs> like, but right. Let's move this from bow to spear. Yeah. 
All right. I've heard stories from a couple of folks about spearing sturgeon, and I know you've done this a couple of times. It sounds absolutely awesome to me. Big armored sturgeon and these big, well, they're, they're not really tridents, but they're more like extended tridents or big pitchforks. This right here, this looks like metal fishing. It's almost fantasy <laughs> driven, right? You know, so tell me about spearing sturgeon. So sturgeon, spearing sturgeon is probably my favorite thing on earth to do. I discovered it by accident in 2010. I was looking for something to write about, something to blog about, and the Google machine provided. So I drive up to Lake Winnebago, and I'm not even sure what to expect. I'm like, oh, it's probably like, you know, pike spearing, northern pike spearing or whatever. No, oh, no, oh, no. These fish are like six feet long. <laughs> they weigh 100 pounds. They're old dinosaurs. And sturgeon are probably one, next to turkey, are one of Wisconsin's greatest conservation stories because the commercial fishermen had completely decimated them in the 70s. They were, they're spiny, they're big, they're slow moving, they get caught up in the net, so they just butchered them. And then, you know, a bunch of biologists got together and conservationists got together and it took them years and years and years. And the biggest part, of the issue had to do with um, the artificial insemination portion of it outside of their natural habitat because they're slow breeders and they traveled the world looking for answers. They were coming up with this issue. And if I remember correctly, it was Russia who actually gave them the answer. And it had to do with the stickiness of the eggs itself. And it, I mean, like I said, they're slow growers. So it has taken decades to bring that, fish back to normal levels and to be able to provide a sport for a long long time you couldn't spear sturgeon lake sturgeon anywhere in the world now there's a lake in michigan i believe they issue 10 tags a year yeah black lake Lake, six yeah yeah steve griffin and i talked about that recently yeah and it's really i mean it's wonderful i love it it's just but we issue I don't know, something like 15,000 tags a year because we've grown them to such a sustainable level that we can issue 15,000. And there, there are caps, there are harvest caps. So once it hits that harvest cap, females, juveniles, males, you know, the season is closed. So they're really careful not to over harvest them. I bet that takes some, some serious spear thrust to get through that armor. So it doesn't. Um, These spears are engineered so that they hang in the dark house and the head detaches. It's on it like a rope. And they're so heavy, you don't have to thrust them down. All you do is you take them off that hook and you position it where you go and gravity does the rest. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Kind of like a flying gaff almost. Kind of, yeah. All right. Weighing like 60 pounds. Yeah, wow. Wow. All right. So that brings me to another part of your fishing. (laughs) Okay. And that's sort of the way you and I met. And that has to do with ice fishing. Tell me about ice fishing and not just the ice fishing that you and I did at Lake of the Woods, but your larger experience with ice fishing. Because I mean, it was clear to me when you walked in with all of your own gear (laughs) that this was not your first rodeo, whereas I was as neophyte as it gets. But tell me about you and ice fishing. 
I love ice fishing. You know, I really love winter. I think that was another deterrent why I'm not currently living in Hawaii, too, because I love the cold. I love hard water. I love ice fishing. We've had a crappy year for ice fishing, let me tell you, because I've only gotten out a couple of times, and it's very frustrating because you're right. I have thousands of dollars invested in my gear, and my boyfriend doesn't love ice fishing at all which is okay because I have the single person flip over shanty that I can take out with my fancy auger and all my little rods and it's a day out on the lake by myself there is nothing more beautiful than the dark contrast of a frozen lake everything's white the sky is blue the trees are gray and the sun is shining on you and it doesn't matter if it's zero degrees or 30 degrees it is beautiful and it's just so fun because you can get out to places you can't normally get if you have to only shore fish that's kind of and I think that's kind of really why I gravitated towards it because up until last year I wasn't even allowed to have a boat much less be able to get to any of these cool hot spots where the crappies are suspended or whatever and ice fishing allows you to put on a lot of miles so I love ice fishing one of the things that I found fascinating about it is in areas where ice fishing takes place, it kind of opens up your fishery season from being, you know, a warm weather to an all year fishing. You know, in Florida, we think about fishing, there's no season. You fish all year round. And yeah. ice fishing kind of opens that up to the northern climes of, yeah, we can fish all year round here too. Yeah. Well, yeah. The really, there's a two month period. Um, I forget what the exact date is, mid-March to the first weekend in May, where the inland lakes are closed to give the fish, you know, time to just take a break and not have any pressure. The, but again, if you don't have a boat, I mean, we've had, we've had ice in the May. And if you don't have a boat from May until November, you're shore fishing where the minute that hard water comes in up north you can get out there and like you said keep fishing until the season actually closes so it's just a really good opportunity and the and it's not even just like ah gosh i could talk about ice fishing for two days ice so we have these ice jamborees and these ice fishing tournaments and yeah people care about winning but it's really more about the camaraderie when you're out, you can walk around and be like, hey, how you doing? You know, how many fish you catching? What are you catching them on? And everybody's just happy to be socializing and, and get out and just enjoy the beautiful weather. I, I know people are probably like, eight degrees is not beautiful, but it is. Dude, we were in minus 28. That, <laughs> <laughs> that was a little cold even for me, I know. <laughs> so one of the things that was alien to me was the use of flashers of doing your fishing by watching a screen. Talk to me about what that does to your mindset as an angler. Um, well, like I'm a big gamer. So to me, it's almost like playing a video game where you're like, oh, and it's hard to explain on a podcast if you can't see what a Vexlar even looks like or what a flash or any of those electronics even look like. The sonar bounces back and it'll tell you the depth You'll see your your lure as a little like red flashing line, and then you'll see the fish come in. And boy, it's like it's buck fever. If if you're a deer hunter out there listening, it is like buck fever. You see that fish, and you're like, oh my god, this is a big one. Try to get you. 
hook up into this front of the face and then it doesn't work and then you're like ah oh, but then here comes another one so it's it very much to me a lot of these electronics um connect on that video gamer kind of level yeah i mean that's that's how i started to think about it was i'm playing a game on a screen yeah paying attention to the water but it was that was that was just so unusual for me because you know yeah we've certainly got you know uh depth finders and fish you know spotters and all that stuff but never to the point where you're just watching that instead of the water so well and when well yeah but i mean think about it you're looking down a little eight inch hole you can't see what's going on down there you can and it's it's kind of like no different than open water fishing but at least with open water fishing you're casting you're doing stuff you're engaged Ice fishing without some electronics, boring. It's so boring. <laughs> it's boring. You sit on your phone the whole time waiting for a tip up. And this just keeps you a little more engaged. And with the electronics that are out there nowadays, I mean, they're, they're game changers. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, that's cheating. That's not really fishing. But you still got to get them to bite. I mean, it's not like you're just swooping down with a net and fish, you know. It just makes it more fun and engaging, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I just thought it was interesting. I have no mm-hmm. value judgment about it. I just had not seen it done before. So. Yeah. All right. It is impossible for me to talk with you without talking about music. So tell us about Metal Chick <laughs> Podcast. Oh, my God. Metal Chick Podcast is like my secret favorite child. <laughs> you know? I love music. I- I'm not a musician. My husband was a musician. My boyfriend is a musician. Like, I love the music scene I just am not a musician and I get great value out of the bands that play especially in my local area but also nationally touring bands and I get so much value out of going to a bar and watching a couple of really good bands that my way of giving back and my way of helping because it's it's my expertise is by podcasting some of these bands are so good and they get zero exposure because they're just not on the radar of the newspapers or the radio stations, unless you're Van Halen. I mean, how many times do you hear Van Halen on the rock stations? You know? So my way of contributing is by interviewing them. I have a really a lot of listeners. I have a lot of downloads, um, surprisingly. So, and it's my way of getting them additional exposure. It makes them feel good. It makes them feel like rock stars because they're getting interviewed. And it just helps me spread the word about what they're doing. Like I said, as a small repayment. So. You, you need a show on Octane. <laughs> right. That would be super fun. <laughs> so, so I guess it kind of begs the question, who are your favorite bands then? Oh, my favorite band is Machine Head. Everybody knows oh, that. I mean, nice. you could probably listen to every episode and probably hear about them because you can't <laughs> stop talking about them most of the time, It's which is ironic. They're completely opposite of me politically. They, but they're song. So when I was in the Navy, ironically, when I was in the Navy, the first year I was there, I was really struggling. I just turned 18. I was, I had moved out of the barracks because I hated barracks. Like, and I was kind of struggling. I just, I was a female in the Navy in the Navy in the 90s. We weren't treated the best. I had some really shitty experiences. And I met this guy, not like dating or anything, but this guy was in a band. And 
Once all their band, they really go, got friendly or whatever. And he came over one day and I was having like a meltdown and he was like, I got something for you. And the next time he came over, he brought um, a Machine Head CD. And I listened to it and it really just, they, sometimes they say music really, you know, saves you or whatever, but it really did. It just gave me something else to focus on other than the fact that I was a single female, 18 year old on my own thousands of miles away from any sort of support system so from that day literally and he used to joke all the time about how he'd come over and he that's all he ever heard at, like at parties and stuff <laughs> and it's true they've been my favorite band ever since so i'll stop talking about them now <laughs> no that's awesome but i mean are they the same band i mean rob flynn's the only one left from no. the original so uh, you know i know i know and especially since bill demo so um, and I love Bill Demo's new band. I think he's one of the most underrated guitarists. His talent is fantastic. It's just amazing. They're not the same. They're, I don't, their newer album is pretty good. The one before that I didn't love because it was just so far politically. And I mean, most, I mean, if you listen to Megadeth, if you listen to anything, you know, they're all very politically slanted and it's always like, you know, through the government and everything, but it was just as, so far in the in the trenches that I was like I don't know about this but this is my favorite band because you know what I served in the freaking military so that you can have an opinion different than mine and it's okay and I can still appreciate your music you know yep, absolutely it's the only it's the only band I've ever done a meet and greet and I was literally like a kid in a candy store it was so ridiculous I was so embarrassed <laughs> to myself but I you know I love the metal I love the thrash metal I love I don't know. I love the European power metal. I finally got to see Firewind. If you're not familiar with Firewind, they're a Greek power metal band. That's amazing. I, I don't know them. But you, you and I yeah. talked about the Who, though, the, the Mongolian metal band. Oh, yes, yes, yes. They so know. awesome. Yeah. They are. They are fantastic. I just, I just love metal in general. And yeah. I know everybody thinks of metal as like obituary and DSI. It's not that. No, <laughs> hell, we opened this with <laughs> we freaking opened this <laughs> with um with Don Felder saying that. yeah right yeah exactly <laughs> it's like I think people would be pretty surprised that you know the classically trained musicians out there <laughs> right right yeah at some point I want you to watch Metal Lord and then tell me about it or Lords of okay. Metal such okay. a sweet movie such a sweet movie. <laughs> So, Carrie, this has all been really fantastic, and I'm excited about this conversation. And obviously, I could turn this into all right. Let's just talk to talk about music. I'm going to go get a drink. We'll just <laughs> I know. But I, I, know. I think we got to get to my traditional wrap up question. And okay. given all of your experiences, I'm eager to hear your response. So, tell me, Metal Girl, Viking Queen, <laughs> what is your grail fish? What's the bucket list fish that's still out there waiting for you? Oh, bone fish in Oahu, man. Maybe Bahamas, but bonefish in Oahu. You we do were gonna know. go, but <laughs> you do know that um, uh, one of my one of my best received articles ever written for Saltwater Sports Sportsman was catching big bones in Oahu. So yes, uh, I know. So you get it. Yep. You get it. <laughs> yep, I know it. I know it well. <laughs> well, and especially since we went to Oahu in December, and I have all the fly rods, all the stuff. The ocean can be very intimidating if you live in Wisconsin. <laughs> like, you know, and I love the ocean. But 
I wish I would have just hired a guide for my very first time out there and kind of got the lay of the land and learned from them. But we were kind of trying to do a DIY style and I just didn't want to drown in the ocean. So I chickened out, honest to God. That's the way we did it was DIYing it. And there are not very many guides on Oahu who will guide, who will guide for bones. And part of it is they think of them very differently than we do. Um, they fish for them with very heavy gear uh, because it's not about sport fishing. They they make fish balls out of them. So it's right. get them in, steam them, boil them, and pound them into fish balls. And so while while we think of um, uh, of them of Ono as uh, of bonefish as um, a sport fish, it's food there. And so right. totally different approaches. And I've only heard of one or two guides that actually target them. And they're, they're running flats boats in Hawaii, which is kind of interesting. But Yeah. Well, yeah. And that was part of it. Like the guy that I was talking to originally that I was going to go with, he was talking about kayaking out. And I was like, I just want to go to a bay. And I assumed it would be like, like fishing in the Bahamas, where you can walk out in waders and fly fish. And I just... I don't know. It, well, and it was unseasonably hot, so it was like dying, which didn't help. <laughs> like, I mean, dying and cranky, and I just was like, I don't know. This is just maybe another day. But yeah, someday I'll go back and taste some bonefish in Oahu. Yeah, that's a good grail fish. Uh, I'm yeah. proud of you for that one. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Carrie, this has all been fantastic. I can't thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Sincere gratitude for that. And thanks for all you're doing for the industry and, you know, particularly in in the kind of leadership that you're providing for so many people, both in hunting and fishing. Thanks so much, Carrie, for being on the Rodcast. I can't thank you enough for having me on. I Like I said, we really connected in Lake of the Woods. I, I thought you were just awesome. And I've looked through so many of your episodes now and I just think what you're doing is, is fantastic. And I love your niche. And I just, I'm so glad you came up to Minnesota. Thank you for having me on. Oh, thanks, Carrie. All right, my listening crew. Hey, after that great, fun conversation with Carrie, I think it's time for a bourbon break. But you know what? That might have been an even more fun interview conversation if Carrie and I had taken a bourbon break first and then had our conversation while continuing our bourbon drinking and having even more bourbon. But in maintaining any degree of professionalism, which I know none of you expect from me, I have opted to speak with Carrie first and then turn to the bourbon break. And in this week's break, I'll be drinking and thinking about Lazy River Kentucky Straight Bourbon. Now, I got this bottle as a gift from my family, and I know they picked it out for me because the label has a picture of a river and a line drawing of a trout, so I guess they figured the fishing professor likes fishing and bourbon, and this one seems to combine both, so they got it, and I knew absolutely nothing about it before I got it, and I hadn't even heard about it, to be honest about it, so I went to the Googles, learned a little bit about it. And it turns out that I am not alone in not knowing anything about it. A lot of folks out there in the bourbon world have not heard of it, nor they don't know anything about it either. In fact, one of the bourbon sites says that this may be one of the most unheard of bourbons on the market. 
There's no advertising information out there about it. There's no web information out there about it. Just a handful of bourbon sites wondering what's up with Lazy River Kentucky Straight Bourbon. So here's what I learned and here's what I tasted. Now, according to Total Wine, the Lazy River Kentucky Straight Bourbon is allocated and produced and aged in Bardstown. But the bottle says it's distilled just in Kentucky, and I guess, you know, Bart sounds in Kentucky, but that it's bottled by distillers in Fairfield, California. Either way, we can assume this is an outsourced bourbon. It's also a bottom shelf bourbon. It lists for about 25 bucks a bottle, but my local total wine shows it for 40 bucks now. And frankly, even at 25 bucks a bottle, that's a hefty price for this bourbon. At 40, don't bother. This is a shell bottle that belongs on that bottom shelf with all the other bottom shelf bourbons. Now, Total Wine does have a little 50 milliliter bottle if you want to give it a try for a buck 99. But this really does need to be down there on the lowest shelf competing with the cheapest bourbons on the market. So you have a really cheap, really unknown, unadvertised, unpromoted bourbon. And that right there should start to clue you in about this bourbon. Now, there is no aging information on the bottle, and since there's no web information, we don't know how long it's been in the, in, the, in the barrels, but since they claim it to be a straight bourbon, we know that by rule, it has to have been aged for at least four years in an American oak barrel. We also do know from the bottle that it is a 90-proof bourbon. Now, it's a fairly light-colored bourbon, light and like a light, brassy, brownish color, the bottle is the best part of this bourbon. It's classy, and it has a classy-looking label. And like I said, there's a picture of a tree-lined river and a nice line art logo of a trout. The bottle flat-out outclasses the bourbon. Hey, you remember that scene in I'm Gonna Get You Sucka when Jack Spade, who's played by Keenan Ivory Wayans, takes that beautiful woman back to his apartment? I think she's listed in the credits just as Bimbo. Anyway, she starts to get undressed, and the wig comes off, then the eyelashes come off, then the fake breasts come off, the fake ass, the fake leg, and so on, until it's really clear that she's been false advertising the contents of the package. Well, that's the Lazy River bottle right there. Real pretty until you get her undressed. Now, the nose of the Lazy River is very, very light, but the dominant scent is vanilla blended with an antiseptic wipe. It's by no means overpowering, just very thin. Now, the palate is not inherently bad. That is, this is drinkable, but it's really disappointing. The texture isn't as light as the nose suggests, but it's not a mouthful either. There's no solidity to this bourbon. Thin, but not as thin as the nose. The palate maintains the vanilla and the alcohol wipe as the two dominant flavors, but a little bit of spice does appear at the back of the mouth, mostly a kind of cinnamony spice, maybe a little black pepper in there too, but nothing to give the palate any sense of personality. In fact, now that I say that, that's probably the best way to describe the Lazy River Straight Kentucky Bourbon Whiskey. It has no personality. It's lifeless, humdrum, mundane, uninspired, and uninteresting. The finish is short-lived, which is fine, since once you swallow this cream of wheat of a whiskey, you really don't care if it lingers or not. Sort of like that kid from high school who always reminded you of paste. He was there, but you could have replaced him with anyone else on the planet, and it would have been better either in a positive or a negative way. You'd probably rather have any other kid, even somebody you hated there, instead of paste boy, simply because... You want some kind of response, some kind of emotion, some kind of personality. All right, enough bullying paste boy. That wouldn't be tolerated now anyway. 
So yeah, those are my minimal thoughts about Lazy River Kentucky Straight Bourbon. And I don't have much more to say because there's not a lot going on here to talk about. No backstory, no unique characteristics to consider, just bleh bourbon. Kind of like those packets of ketchup from a brand you've never heard of that you get at some restaurant. It's not Heinz, it's not Hunt's, it's just ketchup. It sort of does the trick, but not to where you really enjoy the ketchupy goodness on your fries or your burger or whatever. Lazy River, Kentucky straight, boring. Hey, as always, please keep in mind that the Fishing Professor Bourbon Breaks reviews are not sponsored. Not that I would know where to get a sponsorship for Lazy River, Kentucky bourbon. No distillers have sent me samples, nor do they influence my reviews at all, though. As always, I am open to sponsorship, bribery, and extortion. The bourbons I review are purchased out of pocket, and my reviews are based on the keen sense of bourbon know-how developed over many years in many of this country's finest watering holes, drinking establishments, dives, pubs, honky-tonks, and back-alley speakeasies. Hey, and speaking of, since Carrie and I brought it up, let me give a quick shout out to the memory of the 4400 Campus Club on Hampton Boulevard in Norfolk, Virginia, where I spent a few too many nights in high school, college, and graduate school thinking that the 4400 Club was a great bar life place. And I learned that epic cliche line, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here, which was kind of convenient for me because literally my apartment was across the street from the 44 uh, campus, 4400 Campus Club. You know, I remember Thursday night mug night and that pizza that we would have killed for at 1 a.m., not to mention the live bands on one side and the DJ on the other. They wanted to keep you dancing and the live band wanted to just rock out. Well, they're closed now. That whole part of town is rebuilt. But thanks to the 4400 Campus Club for years of great memories and also many mornings of not having any memory. It's hard to believe that Carrie and I could have been drinking beer together under those fake Tiffany lamps way back when, except for the fact, now that I think about it, I'm actually probably 15 to 20 years older than Carrie and probably wouldn't have been in there at the same time. So as the great W.C. Field so elegantly put it, it is well to remember that there are five reasons for drinking. The arrival of a friend, one's present or future thirst, the excellence of the cognac, or any other reason. As always, if you have comments about this week's bourbon break, feel free to email me at sid at inventivefishing.com. And now, back to the water. All right, my listening crew, it is time for this week's top 10 list. And this week, I want to get dark. That is, I want to take the top 10 out at night or before sunrise or after dusk, maybe on a cloudy day or in some turbid water where you can't see through the liquid. Yeah, I want to take a look at my top 10 lures for fishing in low light conditions. And after you hear this, this week's top 10, you'll want to turn to the dark side. You know, I have read so much conflicting information out there about what color artificials to use at night on cloudy days and dark, muddy water or other low light conditions. So many people will tell you to use dark colors like black, purple, red, or dark blues because those colors create contrast in low light. Others, though, swear by greens. Others swear you got to have bright colors like white and chartreuse to capture as much ambient light as possible to stand out against the darkness. Stand out against the darkness. Still others will tell you 
that you should only use solid colors at night and so on and on and on. And of course, like every other bit of fishing advice you'll ever get, the advice about what lures to use in low light conditions is really a matter of the actual context, the local condition, the local fish feeding patterns and such. And of course, it's also got a lot to do with the depth at which you're fishing as well as the species of fish and how their eyesight functions in low light and so on. That is, there are no straightforward answers about what color or what lure is best for low light. Sometimes in pre-dawn darkness, I'll get a trout to slam a chartreuse topwater, but then in post-sunset dusk, I'll throw that same lure and the trout won't touch it, but throw a different color and wham, it's fried trout for supper. Now, one of the keys that I find to fishing at night on cloudy days in dark water or in other low light conditions is that you need to increase the other sensory attractors to a lure beyond the visual. Sound and scent become even more important in low light conditions. Or even finding a way to add light to the darkness, adding light to the, the dark conditions, like adding a small glow stick to a deep drop jig to get it down in the darkness, but visible down there. One of the things about this list, though, is that it isn't really a list. It's more of a hodgepodge of different lures for different scenarios, because really comparing and ranking doesn't work here. Since it seems unfair, for example, to try to rank a deep-running squid lure that glows against the topwater inshore, or inshore lure for targeting trout. So think of this week's list as a list of good low-light lures that could be presented in any order. In fact, you should skip around on the Rodcast Top 10 this week and listen to them out of order. Maybe I'll count them down out of order, like a 5, 3, 9, 2, 8, 10, 7, 4, 1, 6... But that would confuse me too. So let's let me just shed a little light on the subject. And here they are in order of disorder, the fishing professors top 10 low light condition lures. And let's start with number 10 or three or six or whatever number you want to give it. But let's start with the argument that low light conditions are best served at the surface. And so topwater lures that make a lot of splash are great for getting fish's attention. That added attraction of the splashing sound and the water disturbance helps offset the visual characteristics that we lose in low light. Thus, I really like going to poppers in low light conditions. Plus, a fish is looking up at a topwater, so any ambient light from the sky may help create visual contrast with the lure against the sky. And so for this number 10 position, let's go to Shimano's, Shimano's Pop Orca. And yes, you can check out the Inventive Fishing new product introdu introduction for the Pop Orca that we filmed at iCast in 2016, or you can check out my video gear review of the Pop Orca, both of which are available on the Inventive Fishing YouTube channel. Now, I love the unique design on this popper, really unlike any other popper out there. In its design, it's got a bubble chamber that has this wide open mouth that pushes water through the lure chamber and shoots it out the top of the lure creating a lot more commotion than other poppers I've used. It also leaves a really solid bubble trail. It's got this great through-wire construction and really strong hooks, making it one of my favorite poppers. Now, it comes in several sizes, a 3.5 version, a 4.5-inch version, and a 5 and 7 eighths version. I prefer the two smaller versions when I'm targeting trout and other inshore fish, but I really like that bigger version in low light when targeting blackfin tuna on the surface. Okay, with that same logic in mind, let's go with another versatile topwater, one that works well in both saltwater and freshwater situations, and that's the classic Head and Zara Spook. Now, the Zara Spook line has been one of the world's favorite lures since 1939. 
The Zara Spook was first developed by the Hedden Company as a wooden lure called the Zaragoza 6500 series lure. In 1939, the plastic version was introduced, and following the naming of other plastic lures in Hedden, they added Spook to the name to classify it as a plastic lure. The Zara Spook pretty much invented the walk-the-dog retrieval strategy for topwater fishing. The Super Spook and the Super Spook Juniors remain one of the two of the best topwater lures out there. And for low light conditions, look for them in the darker colors, like their black shore minnow or baby bass patterns. And yes, head and make salt and freshwater versions so you can get for whichever uh, context you're targeting. All right. Since the Zara Spook lets us have a conversation that can move between salt and freshwater, let's go bass fishing for number eight. But as an insider tip, if you're willing to wash the salt water off the lures I'm getting ready to talk about, they are perfectly great for low light fishing inshore as well. And what I'm talking about are spinner baits. Now, spinner baits add a lot of commotion and use blades to reflect ambient light. So, spinner baits make great low light conditions for bass and for inshore species as well. Now, I'm a big fan of the Z Man Blades Power Finesse Indiana Colorado Blade Spinner Bait. Primarily because of that double blade configuration of the Indiana Colorado blade. Now, I like it in the bluegill color pattern with gold gold double blade colors. And I will say that there are several companies out there that make spinner baits with black skirts too. They're very useful for bass fishing at night as well. But I really like that Indiana Colorado blade in that um, uh, in that bluegill pattern, which is the darkest one that Z-Man sells. All right, pro tip for fishing spinner baits at night: slow down, reduce the speed of your retrieve. Slow retrieves are critical for night fishing for bass in particular. Try slow rolling it really slowly. All right, at number seven, let's stay on the lake for a bit and go with another great night fishing or low light fishing for bass lure, and that's the Rapala Original Wiggle Wart. This is another classic tried and true bass lure, but what makes it great for low light conditions is that extra charged rattle sound and its commotion causing side to side wiggle. Now the Rapala Original Wiggle Wart comes in about 45 color options, but when it comes to low light conditions, look to their three black glitter patterns, the black glitter, the black glitter chartreuse tail, and the black glitter fluorescent red tail. All right, for number six, let's hop out of the pond and drop deep in the ocean. And it's at depth that I like to run squid imitators, but specifically, I like the ones that have a glow material built into them. For this example, I think I'll go with Chase Bait's Ultimate Squid Fishing Lure. And what makes me go to these isn't just the incredibly realistic design of these lures, but the glow of the TPE plastic they use, especially the eyes. And it's not just that whitish green glow you used to get with your glow-in-the-dark watch or some glow-in-the-dark toy that came in the cereal box. It's the reds and the greens and the blues that pick up and store the ambient light to glow really well in low-light conditions, like those that occur naturally as light gets lost at depth. All right, let's mark the midway point with another squid, but one completely different in design and concept than the Chase Bait's Ultimate Squid Fishing Lure. And instead, let's go to Spro's Squid Tails, which is a kind of reimagined bucktail, uh, bucktail jig that uses a squid skirt instead of the traditional bucktail skirt. The squid skirt has painted eyes on it that along with the mold of the skirt looks like a squid. But since we're dealing with low light and dark conditions, 
What is more important is the glow quality of these lures. You know, it's funny. I can walk into my garage at night with all the lights off and immediately what's, vi what's visible in the darkness are my Spro squid tails in their boxes are still rigged on the rods. I also like that these designs, these are designed for casting and jigging. So they're great for pitching to all kinds of species. And one of my favorite things to use them for is blind casting for blackfin tuna at night. All right, for the number four position, let's jump back up on top and go to another great topwater lure that is great in both fresh and salt water, and that's Berkeley's Chapo. This is a topwater lure that has this really smart tail propeller built into the body design that makes about as much commotion on the surface as any lure on the market. It's a wide blade with a lot of surface area, so it throws a lot of water as it spins, and it makes a lot of noise as it chops, like a panicked, wounded bait fish at the surface. Now, the Maverick color pattern is great at night or in heavy cloud cover, but I like the black chrome for that added reflective quality for whatever ambient light the lure might be reflecting. Okay, you know, we haven't really taken up soft plastics for low light conditions, but the truth of it is you really can't go wrong in fresh or salt water with plastics at night or pre-dawn morning or post-dusk night or cloudy days or perhaps most relevant too in muddy, turbid water. And for number three then, let's go with soft plastics, but I want to point to Marilure's Marshminnow, which really is a durable paddle tail soft body. I like it in the MRMM11 color pattern for low light. And since Marilure doesn't give its colors fancy names like electric bamboo hammerhead cheese sandwich or whatever, like a lot of companies do, the number 11 color pattern really is a black body with a multicolored glitter in the body and a chartreuse tail. It's got great contrasting color with the added reflective properties of the glitter. But what really adds to the marshmallow's viability as a low, life, low light condition is that it has a heavy scent additive to add to the olfactory scent attractant to help offset the low visibility situation. All right, at number two, let's stick with that notion that at night in low light conditions, we want to punch up the other attractant qualities like sound and scent. And let's point to one of the most successful scent attracting lures out there for fresh and saltwater situations, and that's Berkeley's Gulp and Gulp Alive, which I'll just combine as Berkeley's Gulp here for the number two position. And since Gulp comes in so many patterns for either fresh or saltwater with different scents for each, you can always find the pattern you want for your fishing scenario. Look for their darker colors for low light conditions. All right, that brings us to my number one lure for low light conditions. But I'm going to keep you in the dark on that for just a few more moments as we get a recap of the first nine on this week's list. At number 10, we had Shimano's Pop Orca. At number nine, Head and Zara Spook. At eight, Z-Man Blades Power Finesse Indiana Colorado Blade Spinnerbait. At seven, Rappel's Original Wiggle Wart. At six, Chase Bait's Ultimate Squid Fishing Lure. At five, Spro's Squid Tail, squid tail Bucktails. At four, Berkeley's Chapo. At two, excuse me, at three, Mirror Lures Marshminnow. And then at number two, we had Berkeley Gulp. And that brings us to my number one recommendation for low light conditions or night fishing. And it's kind of a generic recommendation with a specific cherry on top. So my number one low light lure is any dark colored soft body swim bait. It's that simple, neither in freshwater or saltwater. So that's the generic, the general rule to live by. Low light conditions go to dark colored soft bodied swim baits. 
And for the specific, go to any of the dark-colored soft-body swim baits made by Bass Assassin and their subset Saltwater Assassin. But if you want to get even more specific on the Bass Assassin side, check out the 4-inch Turbo Shad. And on the Saltwater Assassin side, look at the 4-inch Sea Shad. Both versions you want to look for in the Texas Roach or Purple Canary color patterns for low-light fishing. Trust me on this. And you want to amp these lures up. If you want to amp these lures up a bit for low-light fishing, don't be afraid to reach for some of the Assassin's Bang fish attractant scents, too. And that's this week's Dark Top 10. Really, there is no dark side of the Top 10. Matter of fact, it's all dark. You and me going fishing in the dark. Well, I hope that was enlightening. And that's this week's Fishing Professor Top 10. Until the sky is black and the sun it never shows, till the whipping winds of nuclear winter cruelly blow, the gift of immortality has been bestowed. I will return. I will return. Hey, that's from uh, the Black Dahlia's Murders song, I Will Return. And even though I cannot sing it the way that they do in that melodic death metal style they have, it does seem the appropriate way to wrap up this week's episode since we had the metal chick on this week and we were looking dark this week. Hey, and I do want to thank Carrie Zilka for joining me on the Rodcast this week. That was a blast of a conversation. I love talking with her. And for you metalheads amongst us, be sure to check out Carrie's awesome podcast, Metal Chick Podcast. And for all of you fishing, hunting, and adventuring folks, I urge you to check out her other podcast, Hunt Fish Travel. That's a great show, too. I hope you all found the uh, mundane bourbon break to be fun in all of its pasty glory and that we kept things dark enough for you as we ventured into the darkness with my countdown of the top 10 lures for low light conditions. Before I sign off today, I do have a message for our brothers and sisters out there behind the line. The hull has been painted. I say again, the hull has been painted. And that just about does it for this week's episode of the Fishing Professor Rodcast. Be sure to look for next week's episode, which will drop on Wednesday of next week. And I hope that you're spreading the word to everybody you know that everybody you know needs to be listening to the Rodcast. And of course, if you've got comments or questions or have recommendations or just want to say hi, please feel free to email me at sid at inventifishing.com or you can leave a reply in any of the comment sections for any of the podcast platforms you use to listen to the Rodcast. Hey, be sure to follow Inventa Fishing on Twitter, Instagram, and friend us on Facebook at Inventa Fishing. And be sure to check out all the great video content over on the Inventa Fishing YouTube channel. I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, I am Sid Dobrin, the fishing professor. Fish on! The Fishing Professor Show is copyrighted by Inventive Fishing, LLC. Any rebroadcast of the podcast without the consent from Inventive Fishing, LLC is strictly prohibited. Fish on!